The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. As a um, uh, 24-year-old games athlete, if you can maximize your intensity two, three, four times a week, as a um, as a older masters athlete, let's call it 45 plus, certainly 50 plus, mm-hmm. that should definitely be down to once a week. Okay. That might like that that probably is going to be like shocking to most people. What I'm saying is do not try as hard as you can in the gym every single day. We're there to practice and train, not compete. We're looking to get better, not dig ourselves holes that we can't get out of. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Okay, sir, how are you? I'm doing good, Patrick. Good, good, good. You? Um, I'm doing really well. Good. Um, today we're going to talk about um, being a master's athlete inside of CrossFit. So not not um, so we're gonna look we're gonna talk specifically about the competitive side of it. Obviously, there's another end of it of um, just being of a certain population doing CrossFit. Mm-hmm. That'll be another episode, I think, sometime. Um, but today, speaking specifically about um, being a CrossFit Masters athlete, and sort of the, so the first question really is just a very high level. Um, given your experience with guys like uh, Brian Curley, who I just saw over at the gym, yep. um, and obviously all your experience with CompTrain Masters, what what are the big sort of philosophical or fundamental differences that you've um, come to realize working with uh, a master's athlete versus a, uh, let's call them an open athlete. So not a teen and not a master. So the, the, just the general population athlete. Um, Okay. So the, the overarching themes is the obvious ones that everyone's going to listen to this and go like, is this really what we're talking about? Cause they're so obvious, right? Like masters can, should not be doing the same level of, volume, loading, frequency, intensity, like any, whatever the variables are, they have to be morphed and adjusted um, for master's athletes. And the obvious one there is um, if you're a 22-year-old, you can recover a lot faster than you can if you're a 62-year-old. And then everything kind of gets set up based off of that premise, right? So um, we can tailor things based off of different age groups. So like, you know, this is so, this is so, so not like um, earth shattering, um, but like the 35 year olds can handle a little bit more than the 45 year olds, mm-hmm. which can hold a little more than 55 and 65 year olds. So as we go through the age groups, we adjust, we want athletes to adjust the, um, the, the weekly and daily um, volumes and intensity. Uh, we can go to specifics we want there, but kind of, I think the, the one that might be a little bit more like the um, not as obvious is the competitive life cycle of the athlete. So what I mean by that is the competitive life cycle for an individual athlete is essentially from 21 to 29. It's through their 20s. If you're a 20-year-old, you have yet to come into your prime. If you're a 30-year-old, you're on the downswing of the competitive career. It matches up very closely to um, uh, like a football athlete, right? Yep. Like you kind of come into your prime, your peak at that 25 to 27, 28, 29. For a master's athlete, it's very, very different. 
um, to the point where um, a master's athlete might not come into their peak. Um, there's two kinds of sides to this um, um, in terms of like where is the competitive peak and then inside of the age groups, what happens. So um, if an athlete goes through their regular competitive career and they never crack into that upper echelon of competitiveness. If they are always a um, open athlete on the outside looking in of regionals or what used to exist of regionals. <laughs> but people will understand yeah. what I mean by that. Um, because of that doesn't mean that when you get into the masters, you are going to be in the same position. You might be a late bloomer. And I don't mean you're going to be like PRing when you're 55 when you compared to what the 25 stuff. But you might be able to hold on to, you might be able to progress, you might be able to maintain, you might be able to, um, literally, you might be able to PR better than you, um, 30 years down the road. Depends, we've seen that, mm -hmm. right? And the example you gave is Brian Curley. Brian Curley was the first Masters um, champion. Well, he is now um, ten, eight years older. I think he won it when he was in his like um, mid 40s and now he's in his mid 50s and he continues to PR Fairly regularly. It's not few and far between. Mm -hmm. um, so that can happen. So um, the idea behind that is you can make drastic gains as you age up from group to group to group. If you weren't competitive in the 40-year-olds, does not mean you're not going to be competitive in the 50s. Mm -hmm. You could be very, very competitive. It shifts and moves a lot. Okay. So the second thing of that is um, what's the duration of the competitiveness inside of that age group? And where you have essentially a 10-year competitiveness as an individual, call it 8 to 10, you know, that 20s to 30. For the master's athletes, the majority, unless you're a perennial podium athlete like a um, like a Ron Ortiz or a Sean Ramirez, um, what we recommend our athletes do is it's only a two, the, the stretch goal is three years of competitiveness. Then you take two or three years, the backside of that five, eight year age mm. group to recover and to train your weaknesses and to get better. Here's the idea is you don't want to, let's say you make the games as a, um, as a 45 year old, um, when you're 45 and you come in, um, you know, 14th place. And the next year, as a 41-year-old, you make the games and a you come in. 46-year-old. I'm sorry, 46-year-old. Thank you. In the same age group, 46 years old, and you come in, you know, 19th place. Well, you can try. This is where the wishy-washy is. You can try and make the games that next year and have another feather in your cap. Um, and that would be a big, hard, long conversation of whether yeah. it's worth it. Um, but for that next year, we don't see the value in trying to make it. Um, it's better. You'll do better in the long run. You'll extend your career. If you take those, at least those two years to not compete yourself out of shape and instead to hone up your weaknesses and to focus on the things, um, that you can't do if you're competing. Hmm. So if you're competing, you got to double down on your strengths essentially. Right. Um, but if you're training, you should work on your weaknesses. If, um, if you're constantly trying to compete, you're going to be trying to double the strengths and you don't get a chance to work on the weaknesses. But yet over the long term, those that improve their weaknesses most are the most competitive. In the short term, the people that focus on their strengths do the best. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is if we're trying to extend the career out longer is to give ourselves the opportunity to double down on, on, on we or to work on weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And that's where we see the greatest benefit. On top of that, the wear and tear that comes through the competitive sport of CrossFit is, um, is real. And if you're going through, putting yourself through a competitive season of 
um, open or qualifier events and the games, um, it's a lot to come back from. And you have to take extended periods of time to taper and recover before and after those competitions. If you eliminate those, you essentially are gaining months back into your training year. You get more training than the other people do. And that's a huge benefit for us in the long term. Yeah, that's really interesting. The idea of, of really thinking about it in maybe however you do it, three, four, maybe three year chunks and then two years of another yeah. chunk. So it's, it, we, it's like that's three, what we call it is three on, two off. Yeah, exactly. Which yep. is one, I wonder how many master's athletes are thinking about that versus the idea of I'm not getting any younger. I got to get all this in now right. if I really want it. So that's one question. But they do get younger. That's so true. if you get to age the that's next really group, you're yeah. the youngest in that age group. And that's a thought process. And that's and that's theoretically when you Set have the most Set yourself up for when you're most competitive. Yeah. Now, if you're just, I want to see how times I can make it. Yeah. Um, and you're already 60 years old, like this obviously doesn't apply right, to you. Right, right. Um, but even if you want to see how many times you can make it, if you're 35, you could make it for the first two to three years of every age group if mm-hmm. you do this smartly, mm-hmm. as opposed to try to make it for all five of the 35-year-old, right, right, right. and then you now your career is over. Right. Okay, so the obvious question that I had coming into this is actually, it, I think, is more interesting with that context. But um, the obvious question to me is, should a master's athlete be focusing on strength, skill, or conditioning? Right, and obviously yeah. the answer is, is yes. It's one right. of those wonderful answers you give. Um, but sort of within the context of, maybe, maybe if you want to break it down into like, uh, competitive years versus those taper years or whatever, those yeah. non-competitive years. Um, I know you said weaknesses and strengths and that, and that obviously varies a little bit, but if we could generalize maybe where, where is it more important for an, in, you know, a competitive athlete, uh, to be focusing, knowing what we know about, uh, what the CrossFit games looks like for masters athletes. Yep. Um, and maybe does that change or how does that change in those two to three years where they're, uh, not competing or not actively competing? So from the, um, the, the components of what we call like the three-headed monster, yeah. you have skills, which is going to define what these things are, right? Yeah. Skills is like the ability to walk on your hands. It's ability to do muscle-ups, pistols, handstand push-ups, like the things that aren't necessarily how much strength do you have, double-unders, I guess, will fall in there, and not how big is your engine, right? Mm-hmm. The other two are those things. There's strength, which is just like how much weight can you lift, yeah. and then there's conditioning, which is how much work can you get done with your heart rate at 185 beats a minute, like that type of thing. Um, of those three components... I believe the biggest differentiator amongst all of those is for a master's athlete. If I had to like, if I had to pick one, obviously the answer is yes. So you need all three. <laughs> yeah. But if you have to pick one, um, I think it's skills. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's such a differentiation between people that can walk on their hands and people that can't. If in the in the in the individual comp- uh, competition, everybody can walk on their hands. And the standard deviation off the mean, if you think of the bell-shaped curve, yep. is really narrow, yep. right? Like you be like every single person there can walk 50 feet on their hands without hesitation. Like it's just like in the middle of a Metcon, nobody's breaking that up in the master's division. If you can do that consistently, you're going to dominate. You yeah. like basically you like, you've won that event. Mm-hmm. I don't even care what they're pairing it with. Like you win, mm-hmm. right? It's the same with the muscle ups. If you can do, um, Amanda unbroken on the muscle ups, it doesn't matter how good your engine is or how heavy your snatch is you've essentially won Amanda. Like Mm -hmm. no one else can do that. So for that reason, I believe that um, skills is the most important. Now you have to have the prerequisites for the other ones. If you can't snatch the Amanda weight, you're out, right? You have to be somewhat competitive in the one rep maxes because you come in last place, you're out. Like I'm not saying you only need that, 
but where should people be putting their most focus is on that. Now, here's the second part of your question. That's what people spend the least amount of time on when they're preparing for a competition. Mm -hmm. When they're preparing for a competition, they're trying to get their engine and their strength up. In skills, they're like, skills are going to take me for so long to get better at. <laughs> like, you want me to change the way I climb a rope? Like, I'm already pretty good at climbing a rope. I'm just going to stick with this till the competition's over. Right. Maybe I'll learn this like after the competition. But it's not the time to relearn it. And that's why people don't make the big gains mm -hmm. unless they say, all right, I'm not going to compete again for three years. Now I have the time to learn that better way to climb a rope. And that's why we give ourselves that opportunity if you pull back and like, it's not the next competition, the next competition, the next competition. We have the break to allow you to work on your skills. When you do that, the game changes. Mm -hmm. um, I think you sort of answered it, but are there movements within the sort of competitive landscape for masters that um, we're just not seeing them being challenged, not, not being challenged with, but not being uh, programmed in their events? Like, are they seeing handstand walks yet? Are they seeing muscle-ups? I know they do, but are there, is there anything sort of that's on the table that you can say, you guys aren't going to be tested in that at this no, point? No, it's all on the table. It's all on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is really, yeah. really, really cool. I mean, there are... Um, um, in the general scope of CrossFit, everything's on the table. So they now run and they run long distances. They now swim. They now do handstand walking. They're doing muscle-ups across every age group. So basically like of the list of um, things that we expect to see in a, in a um, they do the obstacle course, right? Mm -hmm. They are all showing up. Now there are certain things that have shown up in individual events that have not shown up there. Yep. But that's um, but those are like few and far between and really like nuancey type things. It's mm -hmm. not major macro movements that we're used to seeing. So major macro movements, say that three times fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> Alliteration. Um, but yeah, everything inside the the CrossFit repertoire um, is fair game for yeah. masters. Should be a skill that they're working. Yes. On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how often should let, let's again keep going back to that idea of the you know let's call it in season and out of season for lack of a better term um, for those athletes in season uh, that are competing how often should they be competing um, is there a degree to which is you know and I'm thinking obviously there's the yep. the the games process so that's that's yep. a given but there are also a lot of throwdowns and local yeah. events um, that are seeing an, uh, an interest in having masters part of it and so they're mm -hmm. offering it so there's lots of opportunities now um if your goal is really to get to the games should you be doing those those throwdowns or should you uh skip them all together and then same question for those years um that you are sort of quote unquote not competing yep. is there harm to throw you know going into that throwdown yep. just to see where you are and maybe just to sort of uh sort of fan the flame a little bit and remind yourself why uh, why you're doing it in the first place. Okay, so for the first one, um, you, you went with the assuming that the goal is to make the games because yeah. that changes things. Yep. If you want to just compete local throwdowns, you have such a good time doing that and your yep. buddies do it, then yeah, yeah the more the merrier. Yep. Um, but if the goal is to make the CrossFit games, um, from there, it's athlete dependent. And the reason that you would sign up for a local throwdown is so you can hone game day strategy, nutrition, and um, recoverability, and you can figure out some things about you. If you've already done that, if you've already been to the games, if you've already done a bunch of local throwdowns, if you've already been to regionals as an individual, there's no need. I would I would not have athletes do that. Mm -hmm. To me, the local throwdowns are a distraction because it pulls people into the short-term focus of 
engine and um, ability and strength as opposed to what's the long-term approach I should use to be getting to my best self. It's you're going to take, if you're in a competition, this is why people compete themselves out of shape. You're going to take every available shortcut you have, like bad but um, comfortable movement patterns. This is just the way I move. Yep. So instead of trying to change the way you move to become more efficient, you're going to default to those things, which is going to, in the long term, put an imaginary ceiling on your performance. So I would encourage people not to compete in local rounds if the game, if the goal is to make the games, unless you have never competed before. Mm. If you've never competed before, we got to see what competition feels like. What's your mindset going into it? How do you eat before? How do you eat in between? What do you do for your recovery programs in between events? And so on. What should you pack, right? It's like, well, how is it, how is it when you line up next to people? It's just all that stuff matters. You know, there's athlete briefings, like just getting comfortable with that stuff. Um, the second piece to it, what was the second part? Just uh, if they are not in sort of that quote unquote games oh, right. competitive yeah. period. So if they're, they're, doing their, yeah, if they're in their two to three year yeah. recovery or off or build part of their, 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 uh, their master's um, career. Um, during that time, it would be the same um, advice. Mm-hmm. It would be the same thing. Whereas if you need to get experience because you've never done it, you've never made it to a real competition, all you've done is the online stuff, I would suggest doing it, um, but infrequently and few and far between. So you have the chance to improve in between. Um, if you already know who you are and you know how to operate on game day, then I would not be jumping into any of those things because that's going to be the exact thing, opposite thing we want to do. Mm-hmm. We want to try to create the longer string, the longer tail. The the goal is a distant horizon, not this immediate thing right in front of us. So try to push things out as far as you can so you you don't put in such immediacy on today. You can take today to try and improve things. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, a, is it a, a fallacy to believe that masters, that these athletes that we're talking about are more susceptible to injuries than somebody who's not competing or somebody who's not in that age group? Or have you seen in your experience that there is in fact um, sort of a higher likelihood that uh, an athlete might sustain some kind of injury in training, uh, whether it's a not an acute one, but maybe it's just a sort of a, you know, something that's come up over time. No, that's a, that is a for sure true thing. Yeah. And that's not like a CrossFit thing. That is a for sure true <laughs> thing. There is zero 65-year-olds playing in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, why is that? Because they can't, they, yeah. they, they, you can't recover. If you can't recover, you can't build, you can't perform. We, every single day, um, you're getting one step closer to death. I mean, now let's, that's a terrible thing to say, and, <laughs> but, it's, it, but now that we have that, let's embrace some harsh realities. I've had this conversation with regular gym goers at the gym, not just competitors, but these, um, the athletes that are in their, you know, early fifties and they're ripped and they're super fit and they can hang with uh, the really good 22 year olds and they're, um, but they're like battling some stuff and they're, you know, they're still trying to do like do all the dynamic moves and they're still trying to hang on to the volume. And they're like, but I used to be able to do this. And I used to, it's like, I get that, but let's not put our heads in the sand. Let's not be ostriches and pretend that the lions aren't out to get us. Like, let's pull our head out and be like, I am not the same human being I was when, when I was 26 years old. Mm-hmm. I am in a different place. Now that I'm in a different place, what is the best way I should be operating today to maximize my long-term results? If you just kind of go out this thing bullheaded with an ego, like, no, I'm going to throw down and I'm going to work hard 10 workouts a week and I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to train with the same volume and loading as the, as the young bucks. You're setting yourself up for failure. 
You know, I believe that failure is how you learn, but I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you're you're unnecessarily not making the gains that you should be making. And you're working against the goals that you've exactly yeah you're actually being unproductive yeah and the only reason for that is because you have your head in the sand and you're pretending that this thing you know i i'm I'm a big believer everyone knows this in like optimism and positivity but that is so far removed from reality Mm -hmm. it's what i i am not the type of person that's like um you're 55 year olds and 55 years old and you're like you can still do it like that's not the positive thing i'm talking Mm -hmm. about it's not that at all (laughs) yeah it's like dude you're old. <laughs> you're you're old. You're really old. Now that we know that yeah. you're old, and yep. now that we know for sure you cannot do what the 22-year-olds are doing, now let's find out what amazing stuff we can do today. Yeah. That's a positivity spin. Yeah. That's like a, it's, that's a it's a rational optimism. Embracing harsh realities. Embrace them, and once you've embraced them, now let's figure out the best possible way we can do this. Yeah. It's it's the not to go on a tailspin or crazy big analogies on this, but. They've studied this with prisoner of war. The, the prisoners of war that just like are like, we're going to get out by Thanksgiving. We'll be out. Mm. And then that comes and goes. And then we'll be out by Christmas. And that comes and goes. They don't survive. They're, they're the, the eternal optimists. They're gone. The ones that survive are the ones that say, we're not going to be out of here by Thanksgiving. Mm. And we're not going to be out of here by Christmas. Now that we realize we that. we will get out of here. Now that we realize this, what's the best thing we can do right now to maximize our chance of survival? And- we're going to get out of here. Mm. It just might be a really long time. Right. Um, okay. So that's a nice, that's sort of a philosophical answer to um, to that. What about more tactical or practical? What are some things that a master's athlete uh, can or should be doing uh, to mitigate as much as they can the risk of uh, of injuries, whatever those Love injuries it. might be? So let's, uh, yeah. So for the, for the, 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 the true like actionables, right? Um, so we kind of laid them out really briefly, um, but it's things like, um, the intensity workout. So if you, as a, um, uh, 24 year old games athlete, if you can maximize your intensity two, three, four times a week as a, um, as a older master's athlete, let's call it 45 plus, certainly 50 plus Mm -hmm. that should definitely be down to once a week. Okay. That might like that, that probably is going to be like shocking to most people. What I'm saying is do not try as hard as you can in the gym every single day. We're there to practice and train, not compete. We're looking to get better, not dig ourselves holes that we can't get out of. You will make better gains if you work with a sustainable intensity. So that's the first one. Yep. Next one is, um, and they all kind of stem off of that, right? But is like the the loading. If um, if a young athlete, and you've seen them do it, you know, do 10 attempts in a row at their one rep PR to try and get it, yep. You know, as a master's athlete, I don't want them doing that at all. You should not be maxing out accepting competition, period. Everything else besides that is we might brush up against a couple 95% here or there, but everything else can be 80 to 90% for the heavy stuff. You'll make more gains that way. You're not taxing the CNS system as much as you are the system that's going to help you improve. Um, the other one is the um, volume in terms of uh, actual um, training um you know, load plus repetitions plus sets, like the actual, like if you times those things up together, that's the volume that you're mm-hmm. doing. If a um, regular games athlete can be in the gym for, and they are between like five and eight hours a day, 
Um, the regular uh, masters games athlete should be in the gym more closer to like two to three hours a day, almost half. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the the focus on recoverability, this is probably the most overlooked. Um, as you get older, you should focus more on recovery. I actually see the inverse relationship and practically what's happening. The younger athletes are better than this. And mostly that has to do with the younger athletes are professionals. They don't have other roles, responsibilities, they don't have families and careers and um, other kind of things going on in their lives. Whereas the master's athletes go to the gym, they got to get home and now they have the real things to deal with. So I understand that aspect of it. Um, in terms of movement selection, uh, master's athletes would benefit from doing uh, more strict stuff and less kipping. Kipping um, um, just necessitates greater um, wear and tear on joints, where strict is more muscular. They can do a better job of that. And then um, what master's athletes should be spending more time on than the uh, regular games athletes, which again is an inverse relationship because it's a time component, is mobility work. Um, Master's athletes, if you have good mobility, it is a crazy competitive advantage, crazy. On the individual level, they're all um, on on the on the good side of that. They're good, and some of them are great, but no one is deficient. You mm-hmm. can't get to the games being deficient with mobility. On the master side, um, most of them are average at best, mm-hmm. and some are poor. If you have good mobility, it's a huge competitive advantage. So you brought up uh, Brian Curley, who's been in the games a number of times and has won it. He um, he's kind of the rare exception. Um, he spends literally. Uh, hours hours on his mobility it's um upwards of two to three hours every day mm. you know I, I know it's not the com the norm um but there's a reason he's exceptional is because he's the exception right um and he moves his his movement re- re- reflects his mobility it's not just like he's like stretching and then he gets in the to, to uh, an overhead squat and it looks terrible it's all with the the, the productive application of this end goal do you foresee the competitive landscape of um, masters athletes being such that uh, um, athletes start prepping for being a masters athletes? You know, because there's that gap. If you if you yeah, say no, that, it. you know, yeah. the 28 year old is gen- roughly when you're at the tail end of one, and obviously, what is it, 34, 35, 35 is the beginning of. Yep, that's a big gap. Are you are you seeing athletes just saying, okay, I'm not going to try when I'm 30 to make it to the regionals, I'm going to start looking ahead to 35 when I can compete there. Yes, um, but not with that big of a gap. Um, people are still very, very, very competitive at age 30 at the CrossFit Games. So mm-hmm. um, 30 is, what I, the way I said that was the, the downward swing. Yep. If you're 30, you're an older athlete. Much like I said at the beginning side, if you're 20 or 21, you can still be there. You're just on the early side of it. You haven't peaked yet. Yep. So in terms of the bell curve of, you know, uh, or as Malcolm Gladwell said, the, the U-shaped curve. <laughs> Yes, he does. The inverted nice. U. <laughs> yep. And he talks like this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be, it'd be the inverse U. Um, would, you're on the far yep. right-hand side of that. Yep. Um, so what we see is, and what we should be seeing, I believe, unless you're like the anomaly, right? You're the Becca Void or the Josh Bridges, um, you know. Then in that case, when you are 33 and 34, I don't think you should be trying to make real hard runs. I think you could be setting yourself up for better success if you said, I'm going to make a run at this thing at 35. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, last question, maybe a, a bit of a strange one, but one that I sort of was thinking about when I was thinking about this topic, um, and I think you might have an interesting perspective on it, which is, uh, are there downsides to taking 
your athletic career post 35 that seriously? Like, do you see, um, or what do you see as the negatives of being 40 and still spending, like you said, three hours a day at the gym? Yep. What does that look like? Okay, so um, I think that's a great question. And I don't think it's exclusive to master's athletes. Mm. So yeah. are there downsides to taking, and I don't think it's exclusive to sports. Yeah. What you're asking is, is there downsides to taking things very, very seriously? You know, to remove the other yep. kind of precursors, adjectives out of there. The answer is obviously yes, right? If you're an entrepreneur and regardless of your age, if you take it very, very seriously, there's going to be negative side effects. Now, what happens is most entrepreneurs, most athletes are spending that time in their early 20s where they don't have families and don't have other roles and responsibilities. So they're able to invest the eight hours a week. They're able to be quote unquote selfish and they should, that's great. That's the time to do it. If you're trying to do this when you're 55 or when you're 45 and you have a family of six and you also have a career, you're trying to take this very, very seriously, like three or four hours, the obvious answer is yes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, there's potential. I'm not saying there is. There is. There is potential side effects or potential negative ramifications from taking it that seriously. Now, it goes in a bigger question of like, what do you want out of your life? From the 10,000 foot view, when you look down, when you're on your deathbed, looking back on it, when you say, I'm so glad I spent my time doing dot, 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 is that one of them? I'm so glad I spent eight hours, you know, or, um, you know, three, four hours in the gym every single day while I was 40 and 50 years old. If you think that when you're on deathbed, you're going to be saying that because it allowed you to see what your body was capable of, seeing what your full potential was, testing yourself mentally and physically against the most competitive athletes in the world. Like, cool. That's awesome. But if you think that there's something like, maybe I should have spent more time with my family. Maybe I should have worked on my business. Maybe I should have seen if there was other habits or other hobbies I should have kind of cultivated because when I did get injured when I was 54 and I couldn't use my shoulder for the rest of my life, I didn't have anything else to fall back onto. Mm -hmm. Like there is no right or wrong there. Is there potential side effects, potential ramifications? Absolutely. But that's not exclusive to sports or age. It's just like it's one of those things that we have to look at from a, a top-down end of life, begin with the end in mind, 360 view of what I want out of this short, short time I have on this planet. Yeah. And that goes back to sort of what you said before about the not sticking your head in the sand. Like, be honest that, that, that's, yeah, that exactly. that's what you're doing and, that you're, and make the choice sort of with intention. Yeah, well, it actually helps a lot if you do that, right? You're like, hey, I know I'm sacrificing a lot. Yep. I know I'm giving up time with my family. I know I'm not pursuing as much in my career as I possibly could. I know X, Y, Z. Because of that, I'm going to work even harder when I'm here. It helps mm -hmm. if you don't put your head in the sand. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Let's wrap it up there. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. In the next episode of Chasing Excellence. So they turned these healthy people into pre-diabetics in less than a week by sleep depriving them cool thing they give them sleep and boom, it flips right back just search for chasing excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on youtube and thanks